Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. To- today, we have Matthew Riccadella. He-, he is the founder and CEO of Crystal View Capital, located in Las Vegas, Nevada, and is responsible for managing the fund, investment strategies, fundraising, asset management, and operations. With over 16 years of experience in the real estate industry, he has personally been in principle in over $120 million in real estate transactions and raised over... Was over three hundred and ten million dollars. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks. I'm glad to have you on the show. I heard a lot about you, and you've guys been doing a lot. And in in the years that you guys been under the fundraising, the syndication, investing, you guys raised over. You guys are currently managing over two hundred million plus in asset management. That's a incredible journey to get there, and we look forward to talking to you more about it on this episode. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. So first off, you know, like, how did you get started in real estate and then go into investing and to go into like, you know, fundraising and syndication? Yeah, so I I got started back in uh, 2002. I was actually a a residential realtor in Southern California. And um, the way I built my business up was through cold calling. So I'd get on the phone and um, I'd find my leads through making cold calls or knocking on doors. And over time, what I began to realize is this approach and strategy would also work for investing. So I started to go out there and follow that same approach. But rather than listing properties for sale, I would buy them. And um, and then from there, I would make improvements and sell them down the road. And it worked out quite well for me and transitioned into um, commercial property from residential because I was looking for cash flow. And um, so made that evolution and um, and from there kind of went into mobile home parks and self-storage facilities and created a structure and a strategy to to buy them, turn them around, manage them effectively and sell them. And, and that evolved even further into the funds, which I have today and kind of following the same strategy, but just on a lot larger scale. When did you quickly realize, you know, like going from a real estate agent to becoming, you know, and taking the skill sets from the cold calling, door knocking and going into the investment route and to start acquiring properties yourself? Like how quickly did you do that? Um, You know, it it took years, obviously. Um, Capital was harder to come by during that that stage in my career. But, um, you know, if you do great deals, money will find you. And if you're a great manager, money will find you. So. Um, I, I really focused on being an exceptional manager and and somebody who found great deals off market. And because of that, I did well, made a lot of money, and um, I had no problem raising private equity once it was time for me to launch my fund. Very nice. Because I think, you know, for, for example, when you go into real estate, the first part, like, you know, you can be a buyer, seller, and um, start becoming an investor. And uh, agents, you know, still different, but taking that skill set, just calling, door knocking, and quickly realizing that you can transition into becoming an asset manager using the same skill sets is a great way to do it. And it's scary in a sense that it's a different model because you're not just helping people buy and sell homes. Now you're actually becoming an investor and helping them use their capital towards real estate investing and managing for them from an asset management perspective. But, and, you know, to focus on, um, like, how did you jump into, for example, residential, go into mobile homes and self-storage? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how it happened. Um, it's not as though I had an epiphany one day and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. 
Um, it was more along the lines of studying all the different asset classes that were out there and understanding the advantages and disadvantages of each and finding which ones I could utilize my skill. And that's picking up the phone and calling to find relative value and finding inefficient properties that I could turn around and, and create value and make a lot of money with. So I kind of gravitated to these two asset classes. And the other thing that, that I really liked about the, both of them is they both generate a lot of free cash flow. So as opposed to, let's say, class A multifamily or trophy retail properties or midtown office, midtown Manhattan office high rises, those properties are more going to give you a residual pop than they are going to give you a monthly cash flow. But mobile home parks and self-storage are on the complete other end of the spectrum. They're those kind of non-sexy assets that produce that high cash flow that are inefficiently run and operated that, um, that I, my skill set was suited well to come in, streamline operations, um, create a, a strategy to operate them more efficiently and to generate that free cash flow because that's what I was looking for. That's a good way to do it because in like the investing world, there's so many different ways you can do it. You can go to apartment buildings, you can go commercial, um, in office spaces, of course. And then of course, mobile home self storage or even senior housing nowadays. And I see a lot of people actually, even syndicators are moving towards mobile home self storage, um, senior housing now because the demand is there. And we talked about with a couple of different investors groups, for example, like, Hey, you know, class A is kind of going down right now. The rental income is going down in the population wise. There's a lot more people becoming more seniors. So a lot of syndicators are looking for the opportunity to build senior housing but also due to the economic effect that people are actually you know utilizing more mobile homes and self-storage units so those asset classes are actually rising and becoming more popular absolutely i couldn't agree more you know the fundamentals are there more today than ever in the past and i think covid magnified that you know where there's this kind of de-urbanization effect you know you're seeing this secular trend where people are leaving cities and they're moving to more rural secondary and tertiary markets and there's no doubt our properties are the beneficiaries of that secular trend so we're seeing more people move into our storage facilities we're seeing more people downsize and move into our mobile home communities so demand is definitely strong um, for both asset classes could you like give me an example of like you know pre-COVID, what kind of numbers would you generally see in like vacancy and operations um, versus post-COVID, where you know COVID right now? How are you seeing the numbers affect? Yeah, um, it's not that simple to answer, and the reason why is because property by property is going to be a little bit different, but generally across the entire portfolio, we actually did run some numbers pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm -hmm. from a collection standpoint and an occupancy standpoint. And I will say this, that um, our, um, our occupancy across the board on the aggregate for self-storage actually rose from about 86% to 89% um, pre-COVID to post-COVID. So you could see that we actually gained three percentage points in occupancy as a result of, I don't know if that's directly because of COVID, um, but partially so, at least, um, we were able to thrive during that process. And I think the reason for that, Matthew, is because self-storage was a, 
it, it was a business that had to stay open. It was an essential business while other businesses were required to shut down. And we developed an online move-in portal for our customers to actually move into units without making face-to-face -face contact. Nice. And they could also pay their bills online without making face-to-face -face contact. So that helped us tremendously throughout COVID. I think, yeah, a great thing that you just mentioned first is like, you know, streamlining operations, no matter what class you're in, um, create really good efficiencies and processes and the customer experience, the user experience uh, definitely helps. And even during this time period, like uh, post COVID, you see all these companies who are thriving is because they're creating a better, faster, easier user experience. And uh, one of my last podcasts too, I was just talking about like, hey, if you think about it, in a way, copy Amazon. How do you make everything into one click transaction? Like, how do you help a user go to self storage in one click? Like, how quickly can you do it? Like, what's stopping it? And how much would you, you know, R and D into getting to that place? But by doing that, you're just creating, you know, like such a good experience that people feel comfortable and trusted that I can just keep going here. I have all this great experience. It's so fast. It's so easy because people want easy right now, right? Even if you're doing Absolutely. a rental, a multi-unit, they want easy too, right? They don't want to go through all the paperwork, all the hassles, everything. How can we ease more efficiently do that? So that's the fun, fundamental fun parts of um, building any business, regardless of uh, type. Absolutely. I mean, very important as an operator to streamline your operations, make it efficient, but also for your customer. You know, that, that user experience and that for our, on our mobile home communities as well, when we sell homes, we've created virtual tours because of COVID where they could actually view the home online and they could see all the little details about that home without ever going inside it. And guess what's going to happen, Matthew? I mean, once we get through COVID, which it sounds like we're getting pretty close, a lot of these, um, a lot of a lot of these features aren't going to go away, and we're certainly going to keep ours because it keeps us more efficient. Um, we've increased the the efficiency of the user experience, and um, we're going to keep that in place. And I, I think our customers are going to appreciate that. We're going to do more business because of it. I completely agree. And I, I love it because I love the part of just like technology and efficiencies and how to create that experience. And even like, for example, self-storage, there's so many different things you can do. It just depends on cost and the, the benefits. But seeing as, for example, from a user perspective, let's say, hey, I want to get a self-storage unit. If you had 3D walkthrough of your whole facility and I feel comfortable, I know exactly where my box location is. I know how far it is from the elevator. I know how big the elevator is. I know how easy access it is. It just makes me feel like, oh, wow, I can just go here anytime. I don't really have to worry about it. I can see everything. If you started, you know, for example, if you had like camera systems, security systems, or if my my personal door opened, I got a notification, you know, sure. things like that. You can just, there's so many things you can do, right? You can just think outside the box and just think of everything and then start seeing what you can actually make happen and create that experience so that people just start, you know, telling everyone about it. Absolutely. It's all about the user experience. And when they come back and it's time to store again, they'll want to come back to the same location and we that's why we get these repeat tenants that come back to our facilities over the years. Nice. I think one thing just popped in my mind is like, okay, if I had a storage facility, how much can I actually fit in there? And it'd be, it'd be super cool if I had like uh, a way to use like um, AI, for example, like um, here's a picture of all my items I have in my room right now. How do I get this to fit really nicely and box it all up? And like, what's the measurements to maximize every single inch of the whole space, you know? Yeah. That'd be a, a concept, right? Like how do I get that to happen? Yeah, you should create an app for that. And sell it. Yeah, that'd be Maybe good. Maybe I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fun. Or at the take picture, you guys come box it all up, bring it to the thing, and it's all gone. It's all gone in a minute. You know. 
there you go. Yeah, I think it's one kind of reminds me. For example, I think in Japan, those guys will move the movers actually take a picture of your whole entire house, and when they come in, they box everything up really nicely, package it, put it into the shipping containers, and in and out. But when they put it to your new place, it's actually all preset exactly the same way it came.、Hmm. Interesting. Down to the exact magazine, for example, like everything、wow. is perfectly set back up to your new place. Even though the space changed, as long as you agreed upon what you wanted per room, it's all back to normal again. So you didn't do anything; they did all the work very, for you. Very cool. But very you know,、cool. I don't know how much that costs over there, of course. But it's、yeah. a cool idea. It is. So, in terms, for example, I'm jumping back and forth a little bit because I want to talk about, like, you know, as a realtor before, you mentioned cold calling, door knocking, and you said that in, in the investing world, it's similar, right? And the difference too is like now you're asking people for funding to fund a project that you know might be a specific property, might be a blind pool, a fund,、um, and it's different, right? Because you're now you're asking for something versus them having a physical, tangible asset that they are buying, versus investing where they're giving to you. That's right. So our Our investor base is predominantly folks that are retired, or they want to phase out of active management. So it's interesting because I'll tell you, a lot of our investors are prior sellers, so they know what it takes to actively manage these assets, which it's a lot. It's it's not easy, but we've developed the infrastructure and the talent to do it effectively.、Um, but a lot of these sellers say, "Hey." I don't want to be an active manager anymore, but I like the the positives that this asset class creates for me. That being tax advantages, cash flow, capital appreciation, and I'd rather just invest with you. You have proven track record. You have you know you have the foundation there, and you have the infrastructure there to manage the asset effectively and to sell it down the road. So I'm going to give you my money, and I just want to. Clip coupons and get a nice eight percent preferred return, which we pay plus a piece of all the profits. So,、uh, partially, a lot of sellers have come to us, and then a lot of others that are just scaling back in life, or they they like this cash flow that we generate, which is quite strong. If you look at our return profiles over Fund One and Fund Two,、um, it, our returns have exceeded our peers、um, almost across the board. Nice. What makes it kind of exceed、um, across the board over other funds, and like how is that different? Like how is the operations and the ad values different? You know, I can't speak for what they do. All I can speak for is what we do. But I will tell you that large differentiators between Crystal View and some of our competitors.、Um, one of the biggest things is we source all of our deals off market. So going back to those calls and going back to building relationships with sellers,、um, we we find our deals off market. So we're not competing with the rest of the buyer pool that's out there. And then we do everything in house. That's the other advantage. Where some of our competitors, they'll actually outsource the asset management, the property management, because it takes a lot. You know, it takes a lot to manage these properties effectively. So they're outsourcing that activity. But not us. We want our thumb on the pulse of everything, in terms of creating value,、um, how we could influence the the revenue, how we could decrease the expenses to increase NOI, which is ultimately going to affect the property values and affect the returns that we could provide to our investors. And I think the last、um, I would like to say edge that we have, perhaps over our competitors,、um, generally speaking,、um, I'm looking at this. As an owner, 
and not as a fund manager. And what I mean by that is a lot of managers or a lot of our competitors, they're in this game to earn fees. So they're, they're in it to earn fee income. Um, me, I'm in it as an owner. So I invest a large part of my capital right alongside my partners. In fact, across all three of my funds, I have nine and a half million dollars of my own money invested as a limited partner right alongside that of my existing partners. So there's this alignment of interest where we're going to win or we're going to lose, but we're going to do it together. And I'm not in this to earn fees, but I'm in it so that the properties start to produce a return and I'm going to make money as an investor. And our partners or our potential partners, they love that concept. And I understand why, because I would tell your viewers the same thing. If you're going to invest in a blind pool or some sort of passive investment, just make sure the sponsors got skin in the game with you. Otherwise, are they really going to do whatever it takes? I couldn't agree more. I believe I believe totally in that. And the fact that you mentioned a couple of different things we talked about, like one is the ecosystem, the platform, right? So it's kind of like you guys are kind of like the Apple in the sense that, hey, we want everything in-house. We want to have the best experience for the users and also the way to control and to build upon it, right? Because for example, yeah, different uh, third parties have different goals in mind and even syndicators asset managers have different goals some may be fee driven and that can be true i like the part where where um we are more investor driven and we want to help build the profit together and by having skin in the game as well we know that you know we're looking out for the property the clients and making sure that we do this as partners together right rather than some might say hey i just if I can buy properties and just get the property, get the funding, I can get the asset management fees, the acquisition disposition fees. And that might be what they are into. But if you have that skin in game and you're an investor, you're looking for the long-term goal, you'll create really great relationships and reoccurring um, investors who want to fund the next fund, right? And that makes a big difference too. And guess and what? You'll make more money if you think about it that way. Exactly. And I see a lot of people in the short game and a lot of people in the long game. Like I've been in real estate for 14 plus years. I've been in the long game for a hundred years. I don't, I'm not competing against anyone but myself. Right. And that's just the way it is. And I see the relationships matter the most, like having relationships with all the different realtors, investors across the country that makes more effect in the long term because you know, you have the trust and relationship just to build up together. Um, another thing I like you mentioned too, is that for example, property managers, I seen some property managers out there, they're, turning and turning the properties and they're getting the you know leasing fees the and they're charging up costs on you know management right and then um, billings it's just like wow this is really not great for the invest uh, owner it's great for you so that matters too in syndication world absolutely i mean look they're in it to make money so obviously they need to earn fees and we earn fees too but it's it's how you think about it you know a prop think about a property management firm they're going to think about strictly revenue because that's what their fee is tied to. If there's something that you could do as the manager to reduce the expenses, which is going to drop to the bottom line, are they really going to care? Because it's not going to, I don't think so because it's not going to influence their fee income. So for us, I'll give you an example, like on, on the mobile home park side, a lot of times what we do um, when we, we identify a property and we identify that property as one that we could create value with, we'll take a look at the utilities, specifically water and sewer. A lot of times that water and sewer expense is paid by the landlord mm -hmm. where you could sub meter it and you could pass that cost through 
to the resident. And that cost savings is the same thing as increasing revenue because it's all going to drop to the bottom line in the form of net operating income. On a lot of our properties, we've saved $150,000, $200,000 a year um, by submetering water and sewer. Now, you take a look at that, apply a five cap to it. That's a $4 million swing in value from that one activity. Now, going back to our conversation of, of a property manager, if they were to do that, they wouldn't earn one penny more because the revenue hasn't been affected. That was yep. a cost savings activity. And that's the value of having um, a property slash asset manager that thinks about it like an owner versus a manager looking to earn fee income. Yeah, I know that, I noticed that too. Like property manager, you know, of course, the revenue driven, I get it. But um, and I, I'm actually a property, I'm a realtor investor and a property manager, but I only property manage only for investors in my clientele because we're actually the same exact goal. How do we help the uh, a owner investor create value in the properties and help them manage it and at the same time make it efficient so that way in the future when they're selling it, they're of course eliminating all the expenses they can, improving the value over time and knowing that they're using an analytics that they're going to get to this goal when the time comes and exchange it to the next bigger, bigger build building. But at some point you see others, they just like, okay, well, how do I keep the occupancy great? How do I get more leases to turn over and just generate that revenue income for the company to, to sustain? And I get that too, but and it's also harder for a smaller company to do that versus a bigger one when they're growing, right? To manage all the properties. Sure. sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's huge, um, especially in our field um, where it's, it's very inefficient. And if you don't have your thumb on the pulse of it, like I said, it could get away from you very quickly. And there's not many firms out there that specialize in managing mobile home parks either. So even if you're looking for them, there's a challenge there. So for us, it, it's just a no-brainer to manage all of our own assets for, for several reasons. How do you think about, um, like, for example, multi-unit apartment buildings versus mobile homes and self-storage? They're different asset classes. I get it. But just in general, like... Um, like you guys chose mobile homes and self-storage and you guys mentioned the cash flow is great. And then you guys can operate at a more efficient level. So using the, the, um, that part of it, but how does that compare to you? So I've been invested in all of them, obviously. Um, and let, let's just compare for a moment, multifamily to mobile home communities, because I think they're the most relevant being mm -hmm. that they're both under the, the whole, the whole resi complex. But um, I think the biggest difference in my mind between apartments and mobile home parks, in an apartment, you own the unit. You know, the landlord owns the unit. They own the sinks. They own the roof. They own the infrastructure. They, they own everything there. The tenant's just renting it. The difference in a mobile home park is the tenant owns their own home. So it's their sink. It's their toilet. It's their roof. We only own the infrastructure. We own the roads. Um, we own some of the utilities. But when that sink leaks or that roof leaks or that toilet gets backed up in a mobile home park, guess what? That's their problem. In an apartment, that's the landlord's problem. So you have higher repairs and maintenance on a, on a apartment as compared to a manufactured housing community. The other thing is think about turnover. As a tenant moves out of an apartment, landlord has to come in, they have to freshen that unit back up, turn it over, repaint it, maybe recarpet it. They have to invest CapEx in it in order to release it. On the mobile home park side, 
that tenant owns the home and typically they never take the home out of the park because it's too costly to move it to another community. So if you raise rents in, a, in an apartment unit, that tenant could go down the street, you're gonna have to invest that CapEx to release the unit. Mobile home park, raise the rents and the cost to move that home from your park to a competing park is too high. The turnover is gonna be very low or non-existent. So to me, um, there's a lot of advantages in mobile home park investing that you're not going to get with investing in apartments. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the one reason people might jump to mo uh, multifamily versus mobile homes, is just the familiarity with it. It's easy sure. to go from residential to multi-unit, but it's harder to go to mobile homes. And then like the other it's part a of niche. it, it's a niche, it's a niche it, asset. It is. And a lot of uh, syndicators and investors are actually going that way right now, especially in this, during this time period, they're all jumping towards that way. They see the numbers are you know, really good. Um, and then like you just mentioned, those benefits are really good because you're, you're reducing your CapEx and the vacancy factor in that sense. And the movability from one home to another in a mobile home park is completely different. It's so easy to move as a tenant, right? Absolutely. So how do you add value? For example, when you buy a mobile home park, like you know how multifamily, you buy a multifamily home, you're going to add value by improving units, turning the units over in one by one, right? But in a mobile home park, right. how do you do that? Yeah, so a um, number of different ways. One, go back to the example I made with the submetering of water and sewer. Um, another way, it's not uncommon that we'll buy some of these communities where the rents are grossly below market. Um, we'll slowly bring them to a market level. That's adding value. Um, other times, we buy parks with vacant sites. So what we do is we actually buy homes. They might be new or pre-owned. We'll move them into communities, set them up, and sell those homes to residents. And now you have this reoccurring income from the new lot rent from filling that space. So we're filling vacancies. So it's either increasing revenues, decreasing expenses, or increasing occupancy. And that's how we're creating value. Nice. Yeah. And I think you can create like a really good community there and make it, you know, you can make it really fun. I see some uh, good apartment buildings. They're creating communities, like actual lifestyle communities and a lot of good fun, even during COVID times and they're proving the yeah. area. Right. So that's another benefit too. Like there's some like slumlords out there, of course, but at the same time, when syndicators and investors are doing it, you guys are trying to add a lot of value to the community and change it to make it better and prove it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of our communities, Matthew, what we will do is we'll come in, we'll redo all the roads, We'll put in a clubhouse where a clubhouse doesn't exist, where now yeah. residents have activities, they have bingo, um, they have all kinds of, of activities that they could do. And that kind of brings the camaraderie together within the community. We have a park down in Texas. It was actually on the water. We created a private beach. There's a barbecue area. So there's all kinds of things we could do to enhance the pride of ownership. And that makes more people want to move into those communities. Exactly. I think that's the funnest part of building communities because now you're, like, you're helping these communities and you're building it and making really good infrastructure to the area. And then creating that culture is really important. And your occupancy just skyrockets up from there. Yeah. Yeah. The demand to live in those, in those areas and those communities goes way up and that word spreads, you know, we build that reputation. They start to tell their friends and their family and um, their coworkers. And then when we bring a home in, there's usually no problem selling it because we've created that reputation. 
Yeah, I like that. I think that's the biggest part of like for me for real estate lies. I started jumping more towards investing syndication because it just felt more fun. Like you're changing people's lives in a different capacity, different sense, but you're changing by the neighborhood. You're not just changing one house at a time. You get to change a right. whole area and you're doing yeah. it with a lot more funding, of course, and it's different, but it's also way more fun, you know? How's that? So in the storage units now, in the storage units, yeah. you mentioned you, you're going through efficiencies and improving it and creating um, less vacancy, right? Sure, sure. Well, there's there's a number of ways to create value in storage. You know, a lot of times we'll buy these properties. They're they're inefficiently owned and operated. A lot of times there's a lot of income sources um, that the current owner isn't tapping into. As an example, you could charge tenant insurance. You could have U-Haul truck leasing. Um, some of them don't charge late fees. Some of them don't have an online marketing presence where they, they're suffering from occupancy issues where we create websites and we do the Google AdWords and we do everything. We have a whole marketing team that focuses on what that property needs, what's going to make that property successful in that submarket because one submarket is different from the next. And we'll kind of tailor make a marketing plan for every storage asset that we bring on board. And we put that plan in place. We put those additional revenue sources in place. And all of a sudden, that property is generating significantly more free cash flow and net operating income than perhaps it was under the prior ownership. And as a result of that, the values go up. It's kind of like um, you know how you know on TV, like when you see Shark Tank, the the sharks are going out there and they're helping people by looking at like, hey, when I'm investing in these properties, like how do I or businesses, how do I quickly improve it? And like you just mentioned, hey, marketing team, your operations team, you have sales team, you're just finding the best ways to utilize that asset and create the experience and drive the multiple revenue streams to do that. Of course, more business owners should do that, but not everyone has the ability to do it and or the team to do it or the funding, right. but when, you, when you're actually doing it, it works, right? It works really, really well. But, you know, people have to have that business mindset to get there and to know that, hey, this is what we need to do. To do. Even in yeah. real estate, the same thing, right? And it's a plug and play, too. And you think about it, if you do it one time, if you've got the infrastructure there, you could do it 50 times. And a lot of these smaller operators just, even if they have the knowledge, they don't have the team there. To do it or they don't have the capital to do it or some of them don't have the vision but we have all of those things and if we do it once that's the beauty of scale you could do it five times ten times fifty times and that's exactly what we do and all of a sudden those numbers begin to compound and small changes in income and small reductions in expenses when you look at a 200 million dollar portfolio they go a very 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 long way in terms of creating value. Yeah, I don't think not everyone realizes the, the compounding effect. Like if you can increase a unit by $100, it's not really $100. It's going to be way more value than $100, especially when you start scaling it into the numbers like, hey, 100 units times $100 is a lot, or times yeah. 500 units. And you start, and, and, and the opposite too, what if you start uh, decreasing expenses by $100? That just right. dramatically goes up in the valuation of that, like the cap rates and everything. It makes sense, but you have to like, some people need to visually see that you know? Sure. Sure. And now apply a cap rate to it. It becomes even more exciting. Exactly. Like for example, Hey, that just hundred dollars, just example went up a hundred thousand dollars. Did it really? I just got hundred dollars only. No, you just increase, increase the value of the property. That's and when right. you sell it or exchange it, then that's where you're really getting the payoff, the uh, dividends on that. Right. Absolutely. But, 
So those are the fun things I love. Like I love streamlining processes, automating and fi- finding ways to optimize everything we do and touch in real estate investing. That's the fun stuff to do. And like you said too, uh, being able to replicate that over and over and having a process to do it to the next mobile home park, to the next self-storage unit and creating an efficient team. Team is the most important word. Like you need a team who can operate and actually manage it and find ways to create that opportunity to add value. It's all a team, you know, there's, especially at Crystal View, none of this would be possible without the team that we've built. Um, we've got an exceptional team. And on that topic, you know, having the manager think like an owner, we've taken it a step further. We've incentivized the team members to think like owners. And the way we've done that is we've built incentive-based compensation structures for employees, both at the corporate level and at the field level, at the property level, if they hit certain revenue benchmarks, if they hit their budget in terms of NOI, then they're incentivized. So yes, they get a base salary, but a lot of times these bonuses can exceed even their base salary. So they're thinking about this like an owner. It's it's really a meritocracy and it, it worked, it's worked out very, very well for us. I like that model. And you actually just bring me to, to a point and actually it really works well. And I'll tell you why. Um, in our my real estate venture as an agent broker associate, like EXP Realty, it has the same model, right? Basically, it's taking you know agencies at a certain level, and you're giving everyone the ability to be an owner. Even with Crystal View Capital, you're giving your workers a part to be an ownership. And what that means is that you're gaining the ability to gain you know equity, for example, or revenue share, or uh, possibilities to find other ways to joint into the projects. And you feel more uh, part owner, and you really want to push really hard to sell better, to help it make smarter decisions to help find ways to cut costs or increase uh, and make the properties better. And that matters a lot because when you're doing that at a big scale, you're making a huge effect to the, to even the workers, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody wins under that scenario. You know, it's a win, win, win. It's a win for the employees. It's a win for the tenants and the residents. It's a win for the investors. It's a win for me everybody wins. So it's, it's really harmonious. And you don't really see much, not many companies do it, but the companies who do it, do it really well and they thrive really fast and people wonder why. And the re- real reason why is because you're creating a really good effect for your entire operating team to want to help do better. And absolutely. And it's fun. You know, we create this environment where it's fun for people to go to work. You know, we look forward to Monday and we're, yeah. we're down that it's Friday. So it's kind of the other way around. How did you guys think about doing that and actually implement it and like get to that state? Say, hey, this makes more sense. We're gonna do like we're gonna do it like unlike everyone else. You know, I, I would be lying if I told you I thought about that since inception. Um, yeah. It kind of morphed into that. We brought some great people on board, and I thought to myself, you know, these people deserve to get paid not because of their education, not because of their background not how long they've been at the company, but solely because of the value they're adding to the company. And that's how I began to compensate people. And once, once again, that's reputation. Once that word spread, people that are like-minded and thrived in that type of meritocratic culture said, Crystal View is the place for me. So you'd bring more and more of them in. It's like a virtuous cycle. And now we've built an entire team around it. Yeah, and you guys mentioned you have about 25 in your uh, core team and about 75 on the field. That's 100 people. That's a lot to manage. And that's great because at the same time, you're helping 100 different people, families involved in the Crystal View 
to you know be uh, aligned together and a really good culture to grow together and just keep Absolutely. building right that's the hard part too because normally like in businesses there's a lot of turnover because there's no loyalty there's no value and there's nothing like you're promoting that the worker uh, giving them a, a big benefit you know Absolutely. I mean, it may, again, it makes it fun for them. They have the autonomy to make their own decisions. You know, they, we're there as their cheerleader at the corporate level, but they have a lot of autonomy to make the right decisions. And people love that, you know, and, and quite frankly, I think if they're at the property level that who knows better than them? I mean, we have the infrastructure, we, we set the goals, we create the operating software and there's a whole support team, but they get to make those day-to-day -day decisions. Now, if they continually fail, we have to replace them. Yeah. But by and large, I'll tell you, they don't fail. They thrive under that type of, um, that, that regime and that, that type of leadership. So it's very decentralized. I think one example I see too, uh, coming to that is like, for example, when I go to travel a lot and you go to hotels, sometimes you see some hotels, like the bathtub's running water and it's been running water for hours. You know, it's been right. And like, does the worker really care to turn it off for you? And are they trying to save you money or are they just like, whatever, it's not mine. I don't care. You know right? Yeah. But when they're incentivized based on the net operating income, they say, wait a minute, that's my water that's running. I'm going to go and shut that off. So that's the beauty in the structure. Exactly. I was like, wow, I feel bad. And I, even I want to turn it off. I'm like, I hear it and no one's there. It's been going for a long time. Even I want to turn it off, but you know, because <laughs> like, <laughs> I know from as an owner investor, I'm like, Hey, that's killing the money in times about how many units this building hotel has. Right. Like, the possibilities just dramatically increase. And so, that's the thing, you know, you see it all the day. I think that's not an insignificant point, Matthew. A lot of the places that we buy, some of them are under that type of ownership and that type of management where people don't care and they don't see the value in the small economies. And that's where we could kind of come in by right and create an infrastructure and a system to really create value, you know, and to make it efficient and build people, build a system around that property of people that do care and do think like owners. Yeah, I agree. How does this, during like COVID right now, like how is the um, self-storage units in the mobile home parks being affected? Well, as mentioned earlier, um, they certainly haven't been negatively impacted. I, I could tell you that um, as of yet. And I knock on wood as I say that. I'm not yeah. saying we're out of the woods. Almost there. Anything in the we're almost there. But um, again, because of the fundamentals of these asset classes, they're more resilient in nature. And when people are on the move and more transient, storage tends to do better. When people are downsizing like they are today, uh, mobile home parks tend to do better. So um, we've actually, as a result of that phenomenon, we've done better throughout COVID. I don't know what the long-term effects are going to be, but if you look historically at mobile home parks and storage. And that's another reason why investors love these two asset classes. They, they are really recession resistant. I agree. I, and I, when I was looking to that, doing all the research too, I was like, it makes total sense, especially in a down market like the COVID with COVID these, these other areas are going to vastly improve just because all, all the effects on a higher end scale, like luxury, for example, like everyone's going this way. So you're really resilient in that sense. And that's a great thing uh, to, to be in and the perfect timing in a, in a good, in a good way. It's a perfect timing. 
um, how's the collections going too? Because, you know, for example, if you're in that market and uh, secondary markets and thir uh, tertiary markets and jo there's job issues too, right? So how have collections been? Yeah. You know, they haven't been bad. I'll tell you that, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we, we saw a bit of a drop off in collections, but across the board, we're at about 90% in terms of our collections for That's both really asset classes, which I'm really proud of our team. And I think, that's partly because of the asset classes, but it's partly because of what our team did. You know, our team gets on the phone on a daily basis, works out payment plans with tenants that are having difficulties. We, we even have incentives for tenants occasionally, like we ran a raffle um, of a free TV for any resident that was $100 or less um, delinquent. So in order to enter into that raffle, they'd have to pay their rent to be $100 or less delinquent. So just by communicating nonstop with our residents, um, Crystal View's properties, I think, have performed better than some of the other mobile home parks and self-storage facilities that are out there. Yeah, I like that because I think you're right. You know, like having good, really good communication with the tenants, especially, you know, this community or this neighborhood, you want to have communication with them so they understand where everyone's coming from. They know you have to pay the bills. They know they have to pay the bills. And by having communication on, like, working together it makes more sense rather than hey you owe me late fees you owe me this much money your default 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 you know it's like okay what's going on i know you lost your job let's figure out a payment plan and let's structure it we know we're going to get through this in the next year whatever and then you know they work together with it rather than just leaving them hanging you know exactly yeah that's really because nice it's the way you approach it's it's the way you approach the conversation and the relationship we, we don't want it to be adversarial we don't call them and yell at them we align with them. We understand that they may be going through tough times, but, but we're also stern and we demand respect. And in doing that, they, they do give us respect because we, we give them respect. And um, it's a good relationship and it's allowed us to collect our rents and have, have a great relationship with our tenants. That also creates really great, uh, yeah, the relationship part and the future retention too, because when they get their back on their toes, they they want to stay here. They don't want to just move out and leave and go somewhere else, right? And hopefully, That's they right. Can, at the same time maintain the maintain everything they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's also nice you guys did a raffle too. That makes sense. And that's actually a, a bonus because they feel like, okay, you guys are in this with me. You guys are trying to help us, but at the same time, challenge us to pay our bills and to be on time and giving us uh, incentives for doing that. Yeah. And it's something fun for people, you know, they look forward to it. So, and it's fun for us. So we're happy to do it. What are some other current challenges um, besides COVID like you guys might face in this time period? You know, we're always facing challenges, obviously, in what we do right now. I think that one of the largest challenges is finding people, finding great people, um, especially out in the field, not so much at the corporate level, but, you know, some of this is blue collar labor. And I think we have a short term challenge because of all the stimulus that's going on where people are actually we talk about incentive systems. When you think about this, people are incentivized to stay home and not work. Yeah. So it's been a challenge for us to pay people 15 or 20 dollars an hour and put in a hard day's work an honest day's work where they could sit at home and potentially earn the same, if not more, and not do a thing. So that's, I think our biggest challenge has been the federal government in terms of this whole stimulus. Um, but, you know, that's that's temporary. 
And in the long term, I think that that's going to change. Um, I hope it's going to change, but that's certainly been a short term challenge for us. Yeah, I agree. And I think one thing too, to look at it in a different perspective is that um, if you can find, even though it's hard right now, if you can find good people who are actually putting in the time, the day's work, you'll see in the future that they're going to be the hardest ones working. And the other ones who are taking advantage of the system, in the, if they if they are, then you can say, well, okay, you're glad you're, you don't have them on your team anyways. That's a great point. That's mm -hmm. a great point. Those that you bring on today are the true hard workers and, and love what they do versus somebody who's just um, gonna clock in and out on a nine to five and not care when the water runs to your point. Exactly, and I love the people who work hard and smart and are in it to win it for the long game. And then you see, even in our team, you see people are driving really hard. They know the market's bad, they know everything's bad, emotional, stress, whatever, family, but they're pushing hard to help everyone take care of families and grow together at this time period. Those are the ones who are gonna be here forever. They're the great leaders who are gonna be part of your organization and grow with you and keep bringing it to a billion dollar fund, right? A billion dollar management rather than just, you I like know. Way, I, I like the way you think. <laughs> yeah, I think for the long game, I don't care. I'm like, I'm going for 100, 100 years. No one's competing against me. We're just going to be here till the end of it and have fun together all the way through. There's no negative, it's just fun, right? And we learn through the challenges and that's how we get through it. It gets stronger as you go through challenges. Absolutely. You know, if you're not having, it's funny, it seems like for me personally, the more fun I have, the more money I make. Isn't that the best way to do it? You know, yeah. if you're not yeah. having fun. Why are you doing it? You know, if you don't no. love it, why are you doing it? Gotta yeah, you gotta find your passion. way. Yeah, the passion is yeah. what drives you to make you better and fight harder to get to the end of result. Right, it's a journey. It's not the destination. That's right. How do you guys handle acquisitions right now? You guys mentioned you buy off-market properties. You guys have a team, so you guys look at properties and you talk to them and then you start uh, seeing if it makes sense, right? And you start acquiring it. That's right. So we have a, a whole team of salespeople that are actually on the phone for the most part, um, making contact with owners of other storage and mobile home parks across the country. And a lot of these owners, um, quite frankly, they don't want to list their properties for sale. And we've identified a lot of them already know us. We have a reputation in the industry of doing what, we're, what we say. You know, we do pay a, a fair price and, um, you know, we build relationships and it works it works for them it works for us i'm not saying it works every single time but for the most part it does and i i think our reputation stands for itself when after the transaction a lot of these sellers actually reinvest as limited partners in the fund nice i like that and i'm gonna as a as a realtor i would say that really works you know because i hear people cold calling all the time they just get hanged up on slammed on say you know f off and then you know it happens that's part of the game. You gotta have, you gotta have the stomach to keep going and make the next call because the next call you might really help somebody out. Exactly, and the way I think of it, I tell my my agents too. You're not here selling. You're here adding value. You're here to find out who wants to raise their hand and say they're interested in selling, buying, or investing. And that's all you need to know. And if they don't want your help, that's okay. You're here providing massive value. They can either take it or not. You just need to know yes or no. You're interested. You know, it makes me think of the cardinal rule of sales. Get your ego out of the way, and it's not about you. It's not about me. You know, it's about them. And if you come from a place of serving mm -hmm. and that you're here to um, solve a problem or to fill a void in their life at the present time, if they see that and you're genuine about it, mm -hmm. it's tough for them not to work with you. And exactly. that's where we build our business. 
Exactly. And I tell myself all the time, like, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you. If you look at what we've done in the past and how we help so many people, investors make a lot of money and take care of them, they know, right? And they their reputation holds itself. But the people who think we're just selling, then that's their loss. They're losing that value of knowing, you know, from a senior level that we're here to invest with them and grow and have proven results to, to do it. So that's the fun part of Absolutely. it. You know, it's a challenge. You know, you're going to face the challenge. But at the same time, one of my mentors said this too. If I don't help them and call them and tell them, what we do and how we do it and how we can help them. Someone, some Joe Schmo is going to call them and just sell them and screw them, right? So I'm here to help. So I have to call everyone. That's what his mentality. Cool. I might have lost you for a second. You're frozen. Cool. So while we're waiting for Matthew, I think he's frozen. Hopefully, I'm not frozen too. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about is just you know investing in syndications and how to really grow a fund and how to to use integrity to do that, and you know why it really matters, right? And okay, okay, yeah, we did. So you know, the integrity matters in helping your business and helping your clients invest, buy, sell real estate, choosing your avenues of you know, investing, whether it's mobile homes, single family homes, fix and flips, Airbnb type homes, rental homes, um, storage units. It just depends what you want, but the most important part of it. Here you go. You're back. Hey, Matthew. Yeah, I don't, I'm sorry about that. I don't know if that was you or me, but, uh, I got the, the spinning hourglass there. Okay, no worries. I just uh, was jumping in, in the meantime, just talking about, you know, building integrity, helping, uh, when you have, certain types of property assets that you know you want to find your niche and help your clientele whether you're buying selling or investing for your, you or yourself then uh, how it matters and how it pays dividends by you know ra uh, raising that and having the responsibility and the culture to align with everyone okay i think there's some connection issue here another topic we're talking about too is you know um, vertical in integration and uh, part of vertical integration you mentioned too is like you guys bring everything in-house and right. by doing in-house and having property management house do you guys have construction in-house um, you know we do we don't do much construction mm -hmm. um, most of what we do is we buy existing properties and we mm -hmm. make them better in some way shape or form the only construction we do do right now we're in a few projects in our second fund where we're actually adding storage units to existing facilities that are already 100% occupied. So we're not taking on very much risk, but we're mm -hmm. creating value there. So we don't do ground up development, but we do add on to um, existing storage units. But we do that in-house um, in the sense that we engage contractors to do the work. We don't actually swing hammers or anything of that sort, but we oversee and we project manage all in-house. Okay, good. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. And using your experience to do that and finding ways to uh, maximize the location, the site, the operations is, you know, a great way to keep adding more additional value on top of what's already there, especially when it's already 100% occupied, and you're increasing more units. That's the best, right? That's right. And you're taking on very little risk because you know, the market demand is there to fill those units versus a ground up development where you're kind of hoping that the phone's going to ring and people are going to come and rent units. And in our case, we know they are because we typically have waiting lists when we add new units. 
And another thing before we wrap up too, um, you guys started a new investment fund. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so we just launched Crystal View Capital Fund 3 in November of 2020. It's a $95 million equity offering. I will say in about three months since our launch, we've already raised $40 million of equity. So it's it's gone um, very, very fast. And the demand level is there so much so that I believe June, July of uh, 2021, we will be fully subscribed and that fund will be closed. But the strategy is the same as fund one and fund two, and that's uh, value add, self-storage and manufactured housing communities in the United States. Um, those who decide to invest would be invested in a, in a proven team with a proven track record of results. Um, I would be the managing partner. And presently, we have about $15 million of assets under management already in fund three with another $33 million under contract which are scheduled to close in uh, in the second quarter of 2021. That's really nice because mostly when you see funds, it doesn't quickly jump that quick. I think you mentioned the first fund was like 10 million, second fund was like 20 plus million, and now you're going to like 95. So that's a dramatic well, increase. It, it is. And I think what, what speaks to the trajectory and our ability to raise capital has been our results. Um, it's not as though we just open these funds and, and money, the phone starts ringing like crazy and people want to invest. Uh, it's it's merely because of the results that we've produced in fund one and fund two. And fund one and fund two investors say, I already know that you're proven. I know that you're going to produce returns that I'm going to be hard pressed to find anywhere else. So I'm in. Um, so we get a lot of that. And then Word spreads. They tell friends, they tell family, they tell associates about the returns that they've realized in some of our other funds. And naturally, those folks want to get involved in, in the third fund or the fourth fund or fifth fund, however far we take it. So it's a virtuous cycle. As long as we do what we say, we produce returns, it really isn't a problem to raise capital. That's the great part about um, investing in syndications because the scalability of that, when the first fund is always going to be the hardest, the first property is always going to be the hardest. But once you're in it, the scalability of it and everyone telling everyone else about the proven results, about the team and the operations, that it's just going to scale like crazy. And I see some syndicators have like, thousands of people who instantly, when Absolutely. they send a new fund out, people already trust the team. They're like, it just funds. And that's amazing. Uh, that's you know, proven words, right? That, that's the power of being, being proven and actions speak louder than words. You know, I could be the best salesman in the world. If I have negative returns, it's not going to matter. Um, I could be a mediocre salesman and have returns off the charts. And like you said, people just want in because they yeah. know that we're proven. So that, yeah, that's what matters the most. And I like, I like that fact too, because even like real estate sales, real estate sales, you're locally in a team, right? And where you're local, Pretty, for the most part, and you can only sell so many houses at so many times. You can't scale it that fast and say, hey, I'm going to sell a thousand houses tomorrow. There's no way. But in investing syndications, you can go find a thousand people by working really hard, but you're going to have a lot of events, networking meetings, and get to know them uh, depending on your class, 506B or 506C. But the scalability is already in front of you. It's proven that you can do that at a bigger Absolutely. scale, right? So I love that. Yeah. So, you know, about to wrap up, but I just want to um, thank you for being on the show and any final words you want to say and how can people reach out to you and learn more? 
Yeah, so um, thank you very much, first off, by having me, Matthew. It's been my pleasure. I've had a lot of fun. Um, for those who would like to invest, please visit our website, www.crystalviewcapital.com, or reach out to us at invest at crystalviewcapital.com. Cool, guys. Thanks so much for being on our show today. We look forward to seeing you on the next one on the Truth About Real Estate podcast, and have a great day.